Welcome to Maple Avenue Christian Church Online. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us this way and Happy New Year. And I hope, I really hope this is a better year for you than last. And I pray that this is a year you grow closer to Jesus than you did last year. I pray that this is a year you get deeper into His Word than last year. Well, this morning we're going to begin a, a brand new sermon series as we begin a brand new year. So welcome 2021. Uh, I thought it would be greatly beneficial for all of us if we spent the first five weeks of our year studying together about the importance of the Bible. Uh, there's nothing more important for our lives than, than being in God's Word. And sometimes I think we just take that for granted and we don't talk about it as church leaders enough to say, hey guys, we really need to be in the Bible and, and here's why. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, Donnie, I, I know the Bible is important and I would say that it is great uh, to be involved in Scripture. And I would tell you, hey, that's great. But there are others who, they just don't know uh, that the Bible is all that important to them. Uh, even people in the church. Some folks in the church, they'll say the Bible's important, but they don't actually get involved in the Scriptures day in and day out. They're not involved in daily Bible study. They just don't see it as necessarily beneficial for their daily walk, uh, all ages. Uh, just a few months ago, I was getting my hair cut, and uh, there was another minister in the chair in front of me, and uh, we've known each other for a while. Um, he doesn't pastor a church in this town at all, but we, we um, entered into a conversation, and I won't go into what it was about, but long story short, uh, he eventually said that the cultural teachings uh, are more important to him than doing the hard work of hermeneutics, which hermeneutics, I, I realize, may be a, a strange word for some of you, but hermeneutics is the discipline of interpretation, especially exegetical interpretation. Exegetical interpretation is how we should interpret uh, the Bible and, and what it means. Uh, the, what that means is this. That means we read the Bible and we allow the Bible to shape our views uh, this is how we develop what we call a biblical worldview. Unfortunately, more and more ministers are preferring an eisegetical approach to interpretation, which, which really means they, um, they read their own presuppositions, their own thoughts, their own experiences into the Scriptures. And they try and make the Scriptures say things that go along with their ideologies. Uh, they place their own opinions on the text. And listen, I don't think I have to tell any of you, that is very, very dangerous. And man, it's just like more and more people are doing that. You see, the Bible is, is great. It's great literature and, and the all-time number one bestseller in the world. It, it contains history. Uh, it has entertaining stories. It has poetry and philosophy and personal letters. But more than that, the Bible is God's Word, okay? If we have to speak of a single purpose of the Bible, I would say it is to reveal God to us. Now, there are many, many things that we could uh, never know about God unless He told them to us. And so the Bible is God's self-revelation to humanity. The Bible also tells us who we are. It tells us of our sin and of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, His one and only Son. 
Uh, so to just jump into this this morning, I want to invite you to grab a Bible or a smart device and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, and we'll read verses 16 and 17. But this is what the Apostle Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy. He writes this, he says, Timothy, remember this, all Scripture, all of it, all Scripture is God-breathed. What a beautiful picture that is for us. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, that's all the, the Scripture we're going to read this morning, but in those two little verses, it's just jam-packed with all kinds of information. Uh, this passage may be one of the most comprehensive purpose statements found in the entire Bible. The Apostle Paul, like I said, he's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, these magnanimous words, all of the Bible is God's Word. And all of it is beneficial. All of it is authoritative. All of it is useful. Scripture shows us the way of salvation. Furthermore, it teaches us what is right. It rebukes us for what is not right. It corrects us so we get it right. And it trains us on how to stay right so that we may be ready to do God's work. So there are a couple of things I just want to point out. They're very obvious. They come right from the scriptures. You probably already see them. But the first is this. God's word is useful. It's useful for teaching. So we're going to talk about how God's word is useful for us in our lives. That's the, that's the main thing we're going to talk about this morning. And first of all, it's useful for teaching. Paul first says that the scriptures are useful for teaching. This is one of the most fundamental uses of scripture. Paul also wrote in Romans 15, 4, he said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This is because of what scripture is, because it has been breathed out by God. It's his very breath because of its content. It has this fundamental use of instructing us. The word of God teaches us how to live godly lives. And, and it's our primary and only, or should be our only, source of doctrine. In fact, another word for teaching here is doctrine. For example, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world we live in, and what we believe about eternity to come and present is all informed by the Scriptures, by the Word. As a matter of fact, one of the primary principles of Bible study is studying Scripture in light of Scripture. As believers, we need to make sure that we are being informed by uh, what is taught uh, in the Scriptures and how the Scriptures shed light on each other. I'm afraid that much of people's doctrine, or what they consider to be doctrine, is not informed entirely by Scripture. Just interview a few people, have a conversation with some folks on what they believe about God or what they believe about Jesus or salvation many other important theological truths. Just, just sit down and talk with them, and you are sure to see that uh, there are tons of misconceptions that run rampant. And what is really sad is that this is becoming more and more prevalent of church leaders uh, today. One of the strongest warnings on teaching found in the Bible is James 3.1. 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was also the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he's writing to all the churches scattered around the known world at that time where the churches were. He wrote this. He said in James 3, 1, he said, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And this is because uh, many people think what they believe is sound doctrine. But because of their ignorance or their lack of information from Scripture, um, this use of Scripture, uh, what they believe oftentimes is just unbiblical. In the next chapter of this letter, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, he wrote this. He said, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What Paul is painting a picture of is people tickling your ears, saying what feels good to you, not necessarily what you need to hear. So this should cause each one of us to take on the personal responsibility to immerse ourselves in the scriptures so that we're able to distinguish biblical teaching from unbiblical teaching. The source of sound teaching comes from scripture, and God's word is useful for teaching. Next, the Apostle Paul says that God's Word is useful also for rebuking. Rebuking is best defined as a criticism or a fault. Uh, I'm sorry, a criticism for a fault. Um, this is one of the fundamental uses for Scripture. Paul could be referring to a rebuke that exposes the false teaching of the heretics that Timothy was dealing with, or he could be referring to the rebuke that Scripture has on our personal lives. But either way, Scripture does both. Scripture can serve as a rebuke for doctrinal errors, or it can show sinners like us our many failures and show us what we need to do about it. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays for us and says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Being sanctified means being set apart. Daily, it's a struggle to be set apart from sin in our lives. And that's how Jesus prays for us, that we would be set apart for God. But how is this accomplished? Well, it's accomplished in and through the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. That's how it happens, through God's word. And if we're honest, it's not very pleasant when God points out what needs to change in our lives. But that's one of the functions of God's Word. And if we ignore rebuking, then we're fools. If we listen to rebuking, we gain wisdom. King Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 32, he said, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Paul also says in, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul is building steel reinforcements into young Timothy's ministry. He warns Timothy that people, they're going to turn away from faithful preaching. And what they're going to prefer instead is to listen to, to messages that conform to their desires. Uh, messages that make them feel good about themselves without ever having to change anything, without having to live under any kind of accountability to God's Word. And they'll gladly trade away truths for myths, as long as the myths make much of them. 
and downplay their sin and their need for help and their need for change, or as Paul puts it, transformation from the conformity of culture. Paul may be talking specifically about public preaching, but what he says about Timothy's ministry has everything in the world to do with our rebuking. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the people in your life enough to correct them? Do you love them enough to rebuke them and encourage them even when they don't want to hear it? That's what real love is. Real love is saying, you know what, I love you too much to let you go down this path of destruction and enter into a, a Christless eternity. You know, what I want to see is, is, is my love for you is so deep that I want to see you turn from all this destruction and move into a real relationship with Christ. Next, Paul goes on to say that God's Word is useful for correcting. Now, the word for correction in the Greek means to restore to a right state. Kind of like what that rebuke is, okay? It means to improve, to improve the life and character of a person. Uh, this is hard. It, it brings the individual to a better state. The word brings uh, correction and reproof by the power that is the word. And remember Isaiah 55? It tells us that the word will not return void, but it'll accomplish what it was sent out to do. And it will prosper where it was sent. Love the word and seek its instruction for righteousness and life. That's what we should be doing, folks. The scriptures not only rebuke our wrong behavior, but they also point the way back to godly living by correction. Once the scriptures have convicted us and rebuked our sinful behavior, then they aim at the goal of recovery. So after the Bible reveals our sin and the deep things of our heart, then it works to repair us and build us up again. What good is it to point stuff out if we don't correct it, right? So we need that correction. Again, no one likes to, to be corrected, but praise God that not only are our wrongs revealed to us, but we are shown how to stay on the way of righteousness. Psalm chapter 1 verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. When, when you are convicted of sin, do you search the scriptures for ways to overcome it? That's a question I really want you to consider. When, you, when you're convicted of sin, do you dive into the scriptures? Do you get into God's word to read about ways you can overcome the sin that, that's growing in your life? Do you search the scriptures and allow the scriptures to search you in order to be corrected when you're living wrongly? Something I want to encourage all of us to do more of this year. Finally, the Apostle Paul says God's word is useful for training in righteousness. Listen, folks, the, the scriptures are designed to train us in godly living. Training involves the action of teaching a person to acquire a particular skill or type of behavior. Uh, the idea here is that Scripture, by its teaching, rebuking, and correcting, uh, functions to, to, to train us to live in righteousness. Okay, So the Scriptures produce uh, conduct in our lives whereby doctrine is actualized. 
That is, the Bible makes doctrine come alive in all areas of our lives. All of these uses for Scripture are intermingled, and sometimes they overlap, but they are all for training us in righteousness, putting us through a spiritual workout program, if you will, so that we develop godly muscles for being uh, under pressure from sin and having the strength we need to carry out the commands of God. So, my encouragement is that we set aside time each day to study God's Word. Uh, get books that will help you understand the Bible. Once you start getting into the Word and allowing the Word to get into you, you'll begin to notice that you are becoming exactly who God wants you to be. More like Jesus every day through the ministry of the Word of God. That's how we grow closer to God. That's how we become more like Christ. If, if you hope in, in your own life to overcome error and grow in doctrine, overcome evil and progress in personal holiness, then you have to turn to the Scriptures. You have to be in God's Word because it is profitable for all those things. So some of you are, are probably sitting there saying to yourself, all right, Case, why is all this important to me in my stage of life right now? Well, listen, no matter what stage of life you're in, God's Word equips us for daily living. So, we must learn to apply God's Word. Applying the Bible is the duty of each and every Christian. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a, a normal, ordinary book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 4.9, Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us. What a great promise, right? The, the first step toward applying God's word uh, in our lives is reading it. I mean, you have to read it. There's no substitute. Okay. Now, when I say read it, I mean, you can play it on cassette and all that kind of stuff, too. You're just familiarizing yourself with God's Word. The Bible is the least read bestseller, but it is still a bestseller. Our goal in reading is to get to know God, to learn His ways, and to understand His purpose for this world and for us individually. In reading the Bible, we learn about God's interactions with humanity throughout history. We learn about his plan of redemption. We learn about his promises, and we learn about his character. We see what the Christian life is supposed to look like. The knowledge of God we glean from Scripture serves as an invaluable foundation for applying the Bible's principles for life. Our next goal is what the psalmist refers to as hiding God's word in our hearts. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The way we hide God's word in our hearts is by studying and memorizing and meditating on what we have first read. Now, these four steps, read, study, memorize, meditate, um, all of those together, they make it possible to successfully apply the scriptures to our lives. So let me elaborate on these just real quick, okay? First of all, study. While studying certainly involves reading, reading is not the same as studying. To study God's word means that we prayerfully devote time and attention to acquiring advanced knowledge on a particular person or a subject or a theme or a passage or a book of the Bible. 
A multitude of study resources are available, including biblical commentaries and, and published Bible studies that enable us to feast on the meat of God's Word. Concordances, biblical dictionaries, theological word books, all these things. We can familiarize ourselves with all these resources, then choose a topic or a passage or a book that really piques our interest, and then we dive into that. Next is memorizing. It is impossible to apply what we cannot remember if we are going to hide the word in our hearts. We're going to have to first get in it, and, and, and therefore we're going to have to memorize it. Memorizing Scripture produces within us a, um, a well from which we may continually drink, especially at times when we are not able to read our Bibles. In the same way that we store up money uh, and other earthly possessions for future use, uh, we should lay up these words of God in our hearts and in our soul. So what I want to encourage you to do is create a plan for the scripture verses that you'd like to memorize each week and memorize them. Why don't you memorize our passage today? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Well, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Simple, but it's so useful. It reminds us that we need to be in God's word. Next is meditation. Um, writer and philosopher Edmund Burke okay, once said, to read without reflecting is like eating without digesting. We cannot afford to eat God's word without digesting it. In the parable of the four soils, found in Matthew 13, um, Jesus tells of a sower who goes out to sow seed in his field, only to find that some seeds, uh, the word of God, uh, had fallen on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. And immediately they, they sprang up since they really had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. They dried up. This, Jesus says, is the, the person in whom the word is sown, but doesn't, it doesn't take root. When we meditate on God's word, it's allowed to go deep in the soil of our soul. Meditating is kind of like ruminating. When a cow brings, it up, brings up its cud to keep chewing on it. That's what we need to do with God's Word is just keep bringing it up in conversations and in our thoughts and the application of what's going on in our lives that day. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Donald S. Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, writes this. says, the tree of your spiritual life thrives best with meditation because it helps you absorb the water of God's Word. Merely hearing or reading the Bible, for example, can be like a short rainfall on hard ground. Regardless of the amount or intensity of the rain, most runs off and little sinks in. What meditation does is opens up the soil of the soul and lets the water of God's Word percolate in deeply. The result is an extraordinary uh, fruitfulness and spiritual prosperity. If we desire for the Word to take root in our lives so that we produce a harvest that pleases God, then we must ponder, reflect, meditate, ruminate, on what we read and 
what we study in the Bible. As we meditate, we can ask ourselves some, some questions. It's questions like this. What does this passage teach me about God? Boy, that's a, that's a great, great question. Because when you're reading the Bible, it should be teaching you something about God. So just take time to ask, what's this passage teach me about God? Another question you can ask is this. What does this passage teach me about the church? About the community of believers? Another question is this. What does this passage teach me about the world in which I live in? You see, the Bible, it, it lays out before us the, the teachings of this world, and it teaches us about the world. Another question is this. What does this passage teach me about myself? That's that self-reflection. What's it teach you about your own desires and your own motives? Another question is this. Does this passage require that I take action? And if so, what action should I take? Because if the scriptures are requiring us to take action and we take no action, then it's all for naught. We're just reading to be reading. Another question is this. What do I need to confess and or repent of? Hopefully, the Bible is bringing to light things that we need to work through. Another question is this. What have I learned from this passage that will help me to focus on God and strive for His glory? Great question. So I want to encourage you, as you are doing your own Bible study, uh, to ask these questions and to ask them often. Next is application. We have to apply God's Word. Uh, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. James chapter 1, verse 22, uh, in regards to application, uh, lays out some of the best teachings on it. So I want to encourage you to look that passage up and see what it says. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. And as a final word, it's important to note that we are not alone in trying to understand and apply God's Word to our lives. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit who speaks to us, leading and guiding us into all truth. And for this reason, Paul instructs believers to walk by the Spirit. For he's a very present help in our time of need. The Spirit will faithfully guide us into the will of God, always causing us to do what's right. Who better to teach us how to live according to all that is written in the Bible than the one who inspired the Bible to begin with, the Holy Spirit himself. Therefore, let us do our part by hiding the word in our hearts and obeying the Holy Spirit as he draws that word out of us. Get in God's word so God's word can get in you. Because God's word is useful for every part of your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And your word reveals what we need to uh, improve in our lives, what we need to change in our lives, what we need to capitalize on in our lives. And so, God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that it is your very breath. We thank you that it is useful for teaching us and rebuking us and correcting us and training us for righteousness so that we, we are thoroughly equipped for every good work that comes along in our lives so that we know how to stand up against temptation, so we know how to resist sin and turn away from it, so that we know how to walk in a right step with you. Your word is so useful for us. And so I pray, God, that each one of us would take seriously our responsibility to be in your word each and every day, applying it, uh, meditating on it, reading it, studying it, uh, allowing it to shape us and turn us into the men and women you want us to be. Thank you for the usefulness of your word. Thank you for the way your word changes us. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You guys have a happy new year and a great week.